0: I've been really, really looking forward to this for a long time. For a while now, we've been thinking about what would it look like for us to do a series on Paul the Apostle. Um, And Paul is one of those people who has had this enormous influence on the life of the church. If you don't know much about um, the Bible, so much of the New Testament, like I think a third of the New Testament, claims to be written by this one guy And his ideas and his thoughts have had more influence on the way that the church has been over the last 2,000 years than probably uh, maybe anyone else, maybe even more explicitly, obviously, than Jesus himself. And Paul has had this enormous, enormous influence. Now, I'm aware that probably a lot of uh, of us in this room are going to have different relationships um, with the Apostle Paul, some of you, if it's your, if you're fairly new to faith, you're fairly new to church. You won't, you won't really know very much, and that's totally fine. You might be like, "Hey, who's this guy?" In that case, I hope this, this few weeks is just an interesting journey for you into the life of this really, really fascinating person. But there's a lot of us also in this room who are going to have maybe a slightly more complicated relationship with Paul. Maybe you just love Paul and you can't get enough of reading his letters and you read him and you're like, yes, come on, Paul, come on, Paul. Um, But also there'll be some of us for whom Paul is quite a troubling character in the the New Testament, in the life of our faith, in, in, in the whole church thing if you look at the kind of things that the church has really, really, really screwed up over the centuries, you can trace basically all of it back to things that Paul said, back to quotes from Paul's letters. If you think about um, like the church's attitude to women throughout its entire history, you can basically trace all that negative patriarchy to some quotes of Paul. Um, if you think about the church's attitude to slavery like the church used the letters of Paul to justify the evil practices of slavery uh, because it says in Paul says in one of his letters like slaves be obedient to your masters so that means if you're under the thumb of slavery if you're under the thumb of Empire you should jolly well stay there because that's where God wants you like he's been used in that way or if you think about um, like, uh, kind of an exclusionary understanding of, of what it means to, to have faith versus those who don't have faith, and, and the idea of election and God choosing some um, and, and not others, or, or the church's stance on LGBTQIA stuff and, and how we've been exclusive rather than inclusive um, to our brothers and sisters, and, or, or even, this just seems so bizarre, but so much of the church's anti Semitism, like our anti Jewish ideas, have come from this Jewish guy who was what well, seemed to come from this Jewish guy. I don't think Paul actually thought really any of this stuff. Um, equally, some really damaging teachings on sex and relationships and divorce and remarriage and if you basically, if you look at any place where the church has excluded people or set up unhelpful hierarchies or unhelpful things, you can trace it all back to something that Paul seemed to say in one of his letters. So, yay. (laughs) And yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, (laughs) even though... Paul has kind of become synonymous with a kind of faith that most of us would want to have nothing to do with and want to move away from. And even though more and more people are saying, oh yeah, Jesus, I love. I can keep Jesus. Jesus is wicked, but I just don't like Paul. Even though we're at that kind of point, I think Paul is actually lovely. <laughs> and I kind of want to redeem pool a bit if that's the right that seems a very pretentious word for me to use I've got 20 minutes but um but I, I what I want over the course of these three weeks is for us to come to a point where and it's totally up to you like you don't have to come to a place where you love Paul, but I think I want to give you that opportunity again I want us as we talk about Paul's life to come to a point where you're like where we're like oh, I think maybe we've got the wrong end of the stick on this guy. I think actually maybe he's been misunderstood and co-opted by powers of empire and patriarchy and othering and hatred and all this kind of stuff. But actually, I really believe, I really, really, really believe that Paul is an example of radical inclusivity, anti-empire, like a beautiful community... Um, of what it means to be the church. Um, and I, so I think there is tons here um, to enjoy. And I listened to, a few years ago, I listened to a series by Richard Raw on the great themes of Paul. That really, really helped me. It's on Audible, actually. If you've got Audible and you've got any spare credits, really recommend the great themes of Paul by Richard Raw. And you'll be like, hey, this is a lot of what Sam said on Sunday. Um, but um, like just such a beautiful Eight hours worth of Richard Raw style Paul, which is a lovely combination. Um, so, recommend that to you. Um, but what we're going to try and do isn't just think about Paul's ideas over the next few weeks. We're not just going to kind of go through, like, Paul thought this, he's been misunderstood on this, or blah, blah, blah. What we're going to do is try and get to know him the way we would try and get to know someone else. Like if you sit down and have dinner with someone, um, you don't just try and like suss out their opinions on different things, do you? That's not the way that you get to know them. You listen to their story and you get invited to share yours and have a conversation around your stories together. And what happens when you hear someone else's story is there's something kind of disarming about it we understand a bit of like oh that's where this person actually comes from that's what actually motivates them that's what their life's been shaped by and what their life is about and wow now that thing that they're talking about makes some sense in some context and so that's kind of what I hope that we do over the next few weeks, does that make any sense? Um, in a cup, in a, in like I think it's in three or four weeks' time. I can't remember when, but we've got an evening where we're going to kind of give to all the juicy stuff um, that you want to talk about or ask about Paul. So what I want you to kind of do is be thinking about like, hey, I want to talk about this, or I've got a problem with Paul on this, or I really hate Paul because of this. Store that stuff up. Send it in a message to Dave. And then and then in three or four weeks' time, what we're going to do is gather... I'm saying three or four weeks, not because we haven't set a date, but because I can't remember it. Um, we're going to be in here, and we're going to have like an hour, an hour and a half together, just to kind of... M- go through some of that stuff of like some of the kind of contentious bits and we'll do a general Q&A basically on Paul. Um, But what we're going to do in these mornings is think about aspects of his story. We're going to think about Paul and his relationship to kind of his own weakness and his own vulnerability. And we're going to think about um, Paul in relationships with other people and mentoring and these other things. Um, And what I want to do today is just ground the story at the beginning in an event that if we don't understand this one thing, we will never understand Paul. And I think so much of the reason why we misunderstand Paul is that we misunderstand this one event. And that is what we refer to as Paul's conversion. Though I'm going to put that word in these. What are these called? Inverted commas. Because um, Paul didn't really convert in the way that we think. Like he went from being a, Jewish person to being a Jewish person, like that's it. Um, but he, he has this experience of meeting Jesus, of meeting the risen Christ in Jesus on the road to Damascus. Now, in, as I've grown up with Paul, I tended to think that the important bit of Paul was what he wrote. So the important part of Paul is Romans and Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians, particularly Romans mainly Romans, um, and to get him there, God needed to convert him, and so God did that, so on the road to Damascus, God flashes this bright light, we're going to read the story in a moment, um, around Paul, and everything changes in his life, but really, the point was to get Paul to the main event, which is writing the Bible, and I think, actually, it's the, it's the opposite way around, the most important thing that happened in Paul's life is this one moment on the road to Damascus. where he's going to meet the risen Jesus, and everything from his life, all his teachings, all his themes, all his theology, his passionate running around the entire known world, trying to set up little communities of faith everywhere, and then writing them letters to say, here's how to do this, and here's how to do this kind of life better, and going before authorities, and, and trying to justify like his faith to, to people of his own faith, and people who had no idea about it, and It all flows from this one moment that plays on his mind forever and transforms his life forever. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. Just before that, though, I'm going to just do a tiny bit on Paul as a little Paul. Baby Paul. Tiny Paul. Um, Can anyone remember where Paul was born? Tarsus. Very good. Um, Now... A lot of the places, I found this really helpful this week, is I've actually kind of mapped out. I don't have any of it for you, because that would be, make it too easy. Um, <laughs> I should have done that. Um, but I kind of mapped out like all the places in Paul's life, and it helped make sense of it in my mind. So maybe at some other point, I'll show you. I don't know. Um, but Paul was born in Tarsus. Now, Tarsus was kind of, um, I think, southeast Turkey, where we are now. Or no, wait. That's not right, is it? Syria, Um, and Paul, no, it is Southeast Turkey. That's not important. Carry on. Shh. Move on, Sam. The important thing about Tarsus is this. Paul grew up as a little Jewish kid under the thumb of empire. Um, so he was in a Roman colony. It was all kind of dominated and run by the powers of Rome. And Rome had this kind of interesting relationship with the people of Israel, with the Jews. Um, that wasn't very happy a lot of the time. There's a lot of suspicion. And kind of, a, kind of, they kind of kept working out how to kind of live alongside each other. But basically, Paul will have grown up, not called Paul, called Saul, um, in this kind of two worlds colliding. In this, a lot of the world around him is empire and is Rome and there's taxes to be paid and there's things not to say in public so that you don't get killed by the authorities. And there's kind of the game that you have to play over there to kind of just about get along. But simultaneously, this this Jewish identity where he believed that God is still going to bring a Messiah, a saviour, to come and set the people free, set his people free from being under the thumb of empire and from being spread around all over the world and bring them back into a position where they rule them, they're their kind of their own destiny, and they've got power, and they've got kingship, and that salvation, kind of salvate That's what salvation meant to Paul: is this restoration um, away from Rome. And and for Paul, he grew up absolutely passionate about that. But he grew up in a context where they believed that the way that that would happen is if the people of God, if the Jewish people kind of really, 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 really actually obeyed the law that God had given them in the Torah, in the first five books of the Old Testament. So they believed the reason Paul kind of grew up with this, it wasn't what every Jew thought, but Paul grew up in a kind of school of thought where the reason that God hasn't yet sent a saviour, the reason that God hasn't yet sorted out our problems and kicked out the Roman Empire and rescued us is basically that we just haven't been doing things quite purely enough. We haven't been doing things quite well enough. We haven't been obeying God quite faithfully enough. And so Paul gives his life in his early years. You know how teenagers kind of get radicalized about certain things? Paul is that kid. Like he goes to Jerusalem to study under the best spiritual teachers, to learn all of the laws. He wants to be like the number one God's faithful guy because he thinks, if I just, if I kind of, get rid of everything that's evil in my own life, but also in the lives of those around me, which is always lovely when someone's like that around you, um, then maybe God will step in and bring his salvation, bring his redemption, bring his healing to this people. Does that make sense? So in a, in an effort to go all out with that, Paul comes across this bizarre new little sect within Judaism that are saying there's... a God, there is a Messiah that has been sent. And they're talking about this guy, Jesus, who actually, interestingly, Paul never met. Well, he's going to meet him. But you know what I mean. Never met in his kind of pre deadness. I shouldn't be a theologian. Um, I'm not a theologian. Um, so, but Paul hears about this guy. Who, who some of the Jewish people around him are saying, this is the Messiah, and yet this Messiah got crucified by the Romans, and they're saying he's back alive again. Now, this is so off the wall for Paul, so offensive to Paul, and so offensive to his idea of God, that he's like, right, this, this little sect needs stamping out from the beginning. And so he is one of the people who becomes passionately opposed to this new little church thing that happens. He, he, he's introduced to us at a scene of execution where we see Stephen, one of the earliest kind of followers of, of Jesus, um, uh, killed by a kind of mob crowd as he's trying to, trying to talk to people about this Jewish king. And they're just like, no, 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 this is blasphemy. Um, and they lay their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And he approves as they start throwing heavy rocks at Stephen, and Stephen dies. And so that's where we meet this guy. This is like a radical young adult who is passionately convinced that he knows what is right, and he knows what is wrong, and he knows who is right, and he knows who is wrong, and he's going to do everything in his power to undermine and destroy the wrong. That's how we meet. Paul. So, Saul. I'm just going to use those words interchangeably. Um, We often think that Saul's name was changed to Paul as like a conversion thing. It's just actually, it's more like Saul is the Jewish kind of name that would have been familiar in the Jewish world, and the kind of Greek equivalent is Paul. So it just gets used interchangeably, so don't worry too much. Saul, Paul, Paul, Saul, blah. Um, So, Saul, in an effort to be extra zealous extra committed, extra passionate, um, goes to the high priest um, in, in Jerusalem and says, hey, 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 I've got an idea. I want us to round up the, these kind of traitors, these sectarian nonsense spreaders, not just in Jerusalem. We could do this elsewhere. We could spread this party around a bit. Um, could you give me some letters of authority so that I go to Damascus, find anyone there who might be following Jesus, Chain them up, bring them back here, and then we can do some more stonings. Yoohoo! Um, and so he gets the letters, and he's on his way to Damascus. So that's the context that we're in. Does that make sense? Excellent. You're with me so far. I programmed that to be the first five minutes of my talk. Um, so, can I have this up now, Michelle? I don't. OK. Weirdly, Dave's screen is flashing on and off, which is quite distracting. But this is working, so that's fine. Um, Okay, let's read this story together. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, the way was the way that they talked about those who trusted in Jesus, the faith of Jesus, faith in Jesus um, in the kind of early days. There was no kind of Christianity just yet. Um, Men or women, so you see he's egalitarian already, perfect, Um, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul. Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Skipping ahead a few verses, God calls a guy um, in Damascus, he's called Ananias, to go and see Paul. Um, Ananias is understandably hesitant, um, but does eventually go. Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. It's going to skip back to that moment on the road, where this light from heaven flashes round. Um... And that fascinating phrase, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It really isn't overstating the point. This is not me saying hyperboleous things. This is the moment that all of Paul's thinking and theology come back to. If you go away with one thing from today, Just remember that if you want to understand Paul, if you want to understand anything that Paul seems to be saying in his letters, you've got to see it through the lens of this conversion experience. Um, I'm just going to kind of, I'm sorry, I'm crackling a little bit. I don't think there's anything I can personally do about that or um, anything that Emmett can do about that. So have mercy on us. We don't know why there's crackling. Sorry. Um, But I'm just going to go through just like a few little ways that this rocks, pools, whole world. Um, firstly, this. Imagine you are Saul. Again, I'm using those names completely interchangeably. Are you Greeks or are you Jews? I don't know. Neither? Okay, great, most of us. Um, so, who knows? Um, but imagine you're him, and you have made your whole life, and your whole recent life, about persecuting This church, or no, more than that, about being zealous for God, about being passionate for God. You want to be the most passionate person, the most obedient person, the most on it person in terms of kind of obeying the whole law and doing the zeal thing and he's kind of remembered these stories from the old, uh, from from the scriptures, from the Hebrew scriptures um, about these kind of zealous prophets for God that do violence on people who are opposed to them and that's how God kind of does his stuff in the world and so you're doing everything right. Paul does not think I'm a bad guy who's oppressing people. Paul thinks I'm a good guy who's doing the right thing Stuff And then there's this moment in his life where he comes face to face with kind of the Messiah, the, the Christ figure. And it turns out that in his effort to do everything right, he'd in fact come to do the opposite. Does that make sense? That his, all his effort and all his zeal and all his passion has led him to a point where he's, he's not just done things slightly wrong, he's actually literally opposed to the thing that he thought he was all about. Now, imagine how that's going to completely rock his world. Everything turns upside down. Like, what does that do to your sense of your religion, to the sense of your, your obedience, to the sense of what it means to follow the laws of God? If you've followed the laws of God perfectly... And they've led you to this point where you're murdering the Messiah of God. Does that make sense? That plays on Paul's mind for his whole life. But equally, bizarrely for him, the opposite is also true. At the moment where he is the most opposed to God. At the moment where he is literally met by the Messiah, met by God's chosen on the road. And God's chosen says to him, you are persecuting me. At the moment where he's the most opposed to God, bizarrely, that's the moment where God's kindness and love meet him. Do you see how that's going to completely change his worldview upside down? So much of Paul's teaching is this idea of, of kind of law and grace, of what it looks like to try and get kind of, try and earn points with God by obeying stuff versus just admitting that you can't. And, and I, amazingly how God's love is most present to us at the point where, we're most, where we seem least suited to it. Does that understand? Do you see that, that massive theme in Paul's, in, in Paul's writings of law and grace and obedience versus just receiving God's love? It doesn't just come from this abstract idea for him. It comes from a literal moment in his life. Where he was found to be pushing against God, and God met him right there and so for Paul, what that means is if if at the moment where he was where he was kind of the most evil i don't know if that's the, even the right word but but the most against God, if God loved him in that moment, then is god's love going to not reach anybody do you Again, do you see that link? That's going to completely transform Paul. It's going to go with him his whole life. He's, he says in, in Romans um, chapter 5, like God shows his love for us. God shows the way he loves us, not by waiting for us to do, to do it right and then to step in and to say, hello, well done, my lovelies, you're doing good. God shows his love for us, in yet while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us that is a visceral experience that paul has and then his most his most kind of ardent criticism is always for the people who say oh but to please god you need to just actually do this and do it slightly better like there's this kind of movement of uh, uh, as these as gentile people are joining the church and they're not they're not circumcised because they're not jews fascinating oh It's the Lord. Um, uh, Then some people start saying, actually, to really, really follow God, you need to be doing this, and you need to be doing this, and you need to get circumcised. And Paul just cracks down on it so hard because he's like, no, if the love of God reaches you, if the love of God reaches you at the point where you're worst, the game is over. All the kind of silliness that we try of how to please God or how to improve our standing around those around us, don't worry, the game is up. You've already won. God has already said, I love you just the way you are, exactly where you are. This moment changes Paul's life. It also changes Paul's life because his perception of what a Messiah figure should look like totally changes. It goes from this idea that the Messiah should be this person of power and authority and military victory. And the Jesus that he meets on the road to Damascus is a Jesus that has been crucified and paradoxically raised. It's a Messiah, not of strength in some ways, but of weakness. And that turns Paul's life completely upside down. There's this lovely moment when he retells this story again in Acts chapter 26. And he says, I think it's to... Felix, or what? Someone else, anyway. Um, and Paul kind of adds this extra phrase to what Jesus says to him on the road. And Jesus, in this retelling, says, "Paul, why are you kicking against the goad? Like, why? Uh, what well, that phrase is? It's a, it's a farming phrase that means that animals, you know, pulling ploughs or whatever. And the farmers would use these goads to kind of poke them in the right direction. Um, and if if the cow would try, and, I think cow, ox, cattle animal would, would, go kind of, would want to go kind of off the path, then the goad would stick more in them and it would actually hurt the animal. I um, can't quite remember why I told that now. But, oh yeah, um, what Paul discovers is, is, listen, in this moment, Paul loses everything that he thought was valuable. He loses all his social status he loses all his religious credentials because he can't go back to where he was. He, he sees his kind of networks falling away. He sees his kind of accreditation as this kind of ze- zealot kind of falling away. Everything is lost. And yet paradoxically, something new is gained. And Paul sees that in terms of the, res- the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. So I'm trying to rattle through now, but does that make in meeting a crucified resurrected messiah paul now sees the whole of his life the whole of the church's life the whole of the cosmos's life in terms of a crucifixion and a resurrection a journey down as richard raw says it and a journey up and i love that because that just rings so true. Like the journey from, f- to freedom is a journey not of kind of bolstering yourself but a journey of letting go and dying to our illusions of ourself and rising to something new. Does that make sense? Like, for, like the journey out of addiction isn't just kind of, come on just deal with it. It's, it's a journey of, of admitting that you're powerless of losing your sense of control and finding paradoxically that there is resurrection. It's just the opposite way of saving the world that Paul ever thought. But that's going to go with him forever. And it comes from this moment. Paul talks loads about, you know, I died with Christ. He talks loads about, like, you guys die with Christ. He's not just being like, you need to self-flagellate and live the death of Christ a bit more and and make life harder for yourself and, and kind of feel really sorry for yourself. He's saying, this is a path that we've been invited into. And it's a path of death and resurrection. Just really briefly, the other thing that comes out of this is his passion for the church. Paul spends the rest of his life after this moment not trying to write scripture, not trying to write letters. He spends the rest of his life trying to set up little communities. And that's because of this phrase, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute? me not those people over there who believe this one thing but that in some way this church thing this little community of people who are trying to live in a different way and live out the values and life of Jesus in some way that is paradoxically the way that God is present in the world the way that God is going to achieve the Messiah thing isn't through this sweeping move of power it's through these little communities that live out the love, that live out this radical inclusivity that says everyone's welcome because if his love can reach me, then it can reach everyone. And it, that say that um, actually I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die to myself and live for something else and, and that affects our relationships. And, and Paul sees that dying, resurrecting life of the Messiah playing out in little communities. It seems like foolishness, as he says it to Corinthians. Seems like why would God ever do this? But even as we're meeting today, we're kind of joining in with this storyline of Paul in some way that the hope of the world, the hope of the cosmos, the hope of the whole unit. Paul is massive, has massive vision for this. He doesn't just think There's a a few people who are going to believe and everyone else is going to hell. Paul thinks God is redeeming the whole universe and everyone in it. And the way that he's doing that is by these little motley communities trying to work out what it means to live like Jesus. And so his whole life from this moment is given to traveling and planting and nurturing and critiquing. And basically just charging around being full of, I don't know, what kind of energy But a lot of energy, this guy. I don't think I'm going to turn out to be like Paul. I just don't have the... I just want to go to sleep more than he did, I think. Um, But he becomes a bit of a nutter. Now, listen, I really, really think... I don't know how good a job I've just done of making you start to like Paul. Maybe not. But I really think that... All that he does flows from this. And when he says to the churches, listen, listen, there's neither Jew nor Greek and slave nor free and male nor female. It's playing out of this experience that he's had on the road. And when he says, like, actually, life is about dying and it's about resurrection and, and finding that, it's a, it comes from this experience that he has on the road of meeting a God who loved him in the moment where there was no reason to. And he thinks that love is changing the world, and it's changing the social order, and it gets Paul into trouble. It's never Paul's exclusivity that gets him into trouble and that gets him stoned, stoned in the literal sense. It's it's his inclusivity. It's his kindness. It's his daring to say this gospel is bigger than you thought it was. And what we've done with Paul is we've made his gospel smaller again. We've made it about these people and not those people. And these people slightly over those people. And listen, I'm not going to get Paul off the hook for everything. Certainly not in 20 minutes. Probably not in four weeks. But <laughs> I really, really think that there's such beauty in this guy. And that his vision of what he thinks the church is about, what he thinks the universe is about, what he thinks God is about. Actually, there's so much beauty in it. That said, you can feel free. You can take this or leave it. It will be okay if you get to the end of these four weeks and you still don't want to go back and read Romans. That's okay. Or it's okay if you're like, huh, I could give, I could give this guy a go again. Let's try. It's okay. So I want to kind of let you off the hook. It's all going to be fine. But maybe just before we, just as I finish, I'm going to read, it's past 12, um, I'm just going to read Paul's prayer um, to the church in Ephesus. Can't remember which order his letters are in. It's not helped by the fact that Paul's letters are in totally the wrong order. Anyway, um, (laughs) it's even quite fun, like, tracking the change in his thought over time. Okay. Let's pray. And then maybe, would it be okay? Could you sing us that song that you sung earlier? Again. Um, I just, I loved that, the, the song that Mark sung to us. It just felt like so much. I felt like St. Paul could have sung that song after his experience on the road. I loved it. Um, but just before, before we have that, Paul says this to the church in Ephesus. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. As you are being rooted and grounded in love, everything starts with love. I pray that you may have power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen.